Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Oh, man. <laughs> Episode You're 300. You're your head back and forth like you've heard me say that a few times. I was just jamming to the uh, amazing beats that are our intro that has stayed the same for five years. <laughs> yes. Not, yeah. not, not uh, that six, I'm... Dude, six years. Oh, sorry. Six years. <laughs> Everybody knows in podcasting the first year doesn't count. I mean, come on. That's <laughs> yeah, not true Nobody at all. go look look for those episodes. Oh, man. Somebody was saying that they found, like, Angry Chicken episode, like, one, and I was like, no, no, no. I don't know. I don't want to know what I said in beta, what my first ever experiences with card games. No, please. Yeah, no. <laughs> episode one, it's sort of a running joke on Zombies Ate My Podcast where we tell people not to listen to episode one, and I, I want to say here right now, I'm not going to encourage people not to listen to episode one because when you do encourage people not to, they do it anyways and with That's much true. more fervor. And then they email you about it and say, it's not that bad. You guys are crazy. So <laughs> go ahead, listen to our back catalog of 300 episodes. I'm not going to stop you. They're not going to do it now. Yeah, that is that is quite a lot of gamers in. I mean, mm-hmm. we've got so 300 episodes. Most of them are at least an hour, if not an hour and a half in some cases. Yeah, so, some uh, yeah, that's uh, it's, it's quite a back catalog. And speaking of back catalogs, we have a lot of games to talk about tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we decided to instead of do a kind of more traditional game of the year. Um, we did this last year as well, where we kind of take our top experiences of 2017 and, and chat about them, which I think is kind of better because a lot of the times we found that it's very difficult to compare some things like indie titles or expansions to existing games like World of Warcraft to AAA titles. Um, and even AAA title to AAA title, most of the time you're looking at completely different experiences across many genres. So mm-hmm. we decided to just kind of pull together our favorites from 2017 and we decided to share them with you. And you guys paid us the favor back by sharing with us in Discord. So we have all kinds of your comments that we've uh, kind of curated from our Discord channel. Thank you guys so much for sending in your favorite experiences. Some of them were the same as ours. Some of them were different. So we're going to dive right in. Ryan, why don't you go ahead and start, actually, because you did a thing that I just want to be like, oh, Ryan, come on, that's not a game. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was the whole point of calling them experiences. I guess. (laughs) And also the reason why I moved this one out of our five best experiences and put it into honorable mentions, because I figured you wouldn't be as upset by it. But yes, I chose the Nintendo Switch because I feel like as well, is, I mean, you've also got a lot of Switch titles in your list of experiences. So I'm like, you can't, you're, you're doing it twice, Ryan. You're, you're saying the Switch twice. <laughs> and here's the thing. I, I did realize I chose a lot of Nintendo titles. And I tried to look back at the other games I played. And really, there just wasn't a lot of great new titles this year on other platforms. I only bought one game that I played through the whole way on PS4. I bought no new games for the Xbox that were exclusive. I bought, I think, Injustice. But on the Switch, I was buying a game every other month. I'm, I'm, I haven't bought the game we're going to talk about next, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, because I'm still working on a bunch of other Switch titles, some of which are going to be mentioned tonight. And the Nintendo Switch just came out of nowhere. It surprised us in what it was capable of and and. and it proved that Nintendo still had some life left in it when trying to do something unique. Because you always worry when Nintendo does something unique that they're going to fall flat on their 
their face, you know, uh, like the Wii U specifically. And with the Switch, I was worried, ah, is this going to be two in a row where I have to, get, you know, rough it out for five years while they try to figure out their next step? And no, it, it, it has really proven this system is capable of on the TV, on the go, works very well. The games pretty much across the board have been phenomenal on both both modes. So yeah, I had to include it because I think it was just so different. You know, when you compare it to the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X, it's night and day. One is just a beefed up console and the other is a completely new experience that we've never had before. Um, I guess... That's very it, true. Yeah. And with the, the Nintendo Switch experience, I mean, I, for literally probably the past five years, have been saying Nintendo needs to stop making hardware and they need to make software and they mm. need to make like Mario and Zelda and everything else available on the people who are just better at making hardware. So on the Xbox, on the PlayStation. And I don't think I was wrong necessarily. Um, I'm definitely surprised by how robust the Switch actually is. It's still not on the performance level of the other con- of the other consoles, but mm-hmm. it does something different well. So I'm glad that it didn't just end up being a gimmick. Like I was expecting like Wii U 2.0 where, you know, you didn't do too much with the actual like handheld stuff. You didn't actually take it on the go. It was just, you know, an excuse to have a shittier console was, you know, oh, well, we have to, you know, tear down the specs a bit because it has to be portable and, and all this other stuff. And it didn't turn out to be that way. And I was still worried when we got Breath of the Wild because that one was meant for the previous generation, right? And then they kind of like up-resed it and tried to tried to make it as good as, you know, Nintendo Switch titles should be. And I think they failed. So when Breath of the Wild was the launch title and I'm playing through it and I'm like, this really isn't all that great. Like, if this is what they're showing off their system, like, I don't think that the Switch is capable of, you know, giving me the experiences that I'm looking for in current generation games, I was really worried. But then, you know, with some of the other titles, um, so we might as well just get all of the Nintendo talk out of the way, um, all of our honorable mentions anyways, out of the way right now. Um, I've got Xenoblade Chronicles, Legend of Zelda, and Splatoon all in my honorable mentions because, I mean, I I know I harp on Zelda a lot, but it's still, you know, it's it's worth a mention. Mm -hmm. Um, But Splatoon 2 and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 specifically, as well as some of the ones that we're going to talk about later on in the show... Those ones, like, really showed off the capabilities of the Switch, and and I didn't think that they were going to... I didn't think the Switch was going to be able to give me an experience like Xenoblade Chronicles 2 that, like, had amazing textures, awesome animations, like, really um, colorful and rich worlds because one of my biggest complaints about Zelda was it felt so empty. Like, there was nothing to it. And I'm like, if the Switch can't render (laughs) grass, like, this is a problem. (laughs) Yeah, and and so I was I was proven wrong, and I was very happy about that. So I, I do hmm. I do agree with putting the Nintendo Switch console itself. I guess <laughs> you guess. I, I I just I think you're right. You you mentioned the titles that came out after Breath of the Wild because uh, honestly, as someone who enjoyed Breath of the Wild, it was like it, it it still felt like a Wii U game ported or just you know added to the switch library you never felt like you were getting a unique experience besides the fact that you could play this large open world zelda game on the go now i haven't played xenoblade chronicles 2 but with um mario at plus uh, mario and rabbits and splatoon 2 on the go 
something that you just you didn't really fathom like having played splatoon on the wii u on the go just i wasn't going to play on that little wii u tablet it just it Mm -hmm. wasn't going to happen and with mario plus rabbits this this tactical game that you would think having a large screen would make it better no it works perfectly fine on this small screen when you when you need to go uh, out of the house so yeah the the games that they've put out this year for the switch have been really good at taking advantage of not just you know the hardware but all, just the concept of of being on the go or on the television and i just haven't come across a game that i've played uh that really flies in the face of of that concept it seems to be nintendo has whether they've just done a good job at kind of educating the benefits of doing that or it's just that simple that every game that comes out has just worked on both uh i don't know but so far it's it's been really positive across both both modes Mm -hmm. Well, you talked about um, playing Splatoon 2 on the go, and I think mm-hmm. that that's a, a great title for us to kind of jump off to now because sure. uh, we actually got comments from Void Kronos in Discord saying, on the topic of game of the year, I say this year was so full of great games, I wasn't overly blown away by one to make it definite. In the end, I'd say I was most impressed by Splatoon 2. Never had a chance to try the original, so it was super fresh and exciting for me. The music is super fitting, gameplay is awesome, and overall package is super close to perfect which is very, very close to the experience that I had in Splatoon 2. Uh, I didn't play the original, so this was my first kind of foray into the world of Splatoon. And uh, I didn't like the single-player part of it, which is why I put it in the honorable mention section instead of the the kind of top five we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. Um, But I loved the multiplayer to the point that, like, I was playing so much and so late at night that like my cues were like 15 minutes long because it was four in the morning and no one else was playing so like i i did get really really into splatoon 2 and the multiplayer was super super fun um it's got some other issues when you try to play with a party that ryan you and i kind of ran into uh when we were doing extra life where you know we would want to play with each other like on the same team but then we would basically just be put into a lobby together and then sometimes we'd be on the same team and sometimes we wouldn't be to the point that we didn't even realize whether we were on the same team or not. And then we'd be like, oh yeah, like my team's totally winning. And then it'd be like, oh, what? Really? It looks like we're losing. It's like, yeah, well, that's because we're on opposite teams. I I feel like (laughs) part of the reason why that didn't work uh, for us is is it was fun though like the the modes we were playing i could see in ranked mode where it'd be a little more frustrating and maybe in ranked mode they wouldn't split us up because it's it's a little more of a professional mode but i think when we were playing free play the fact that we were on different teams playing the turf war mode it just felt it felt fun whether we realized we were on the same team or not and i think that was the beauty it was still fun yeah yeah and that's the beauty of splatoon 2 is that their multiplayer is just so damn fun and the fact that nintendo is supporting it with free content again similar to what they did with splatoon and you know talking about on the go like i remember my switch i brought it uh into the so when abigail was born i brought it into the delivery room i don't know if i told this story Everybody I don't think you did. <laughs> okay, so everybody's doing it's the wait and it's the waiting mode where um, Ashley's on our antibiotics and uh, we have to wait three hours before we hit the we hit the go button because that's how pregnancies work. And this one specifically. <laughs> so she's doing her crosswords and everyone's doing their own thing. So I like pull out the switch and playing Splatoon 2. I've hooked it up to my phone and I'm playing multiplayer in a hospital. 
uh, Splatoon 2 over my cell phone, and I'm like, this is crazy that this is working. And I'm, <laughs> I'm actually being competitive and having a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, it's go time. You just hit the power button, you put it back in the in the case, and, you know, next thing you know, you're welcoming your daughter into the world. But it's just, it's so... <laughs> It's it's so refreshing that that game is it's just so much fun and I I agree with you the reason it, it ended up in my honorable mentions is because I defended the single player but I have yet to beat it so I think that's more of an admission than not that if I haven't finished it it probably just didn't hold my interest and I mm-hmm. I agree with you the single player was one giant tutorial and the story wasn't really captivating at all. Uh, maybe the first one was just so fresh because it was brand new and the sequel here feels sort of like a retread in terms of the the campaign they're offering up whereas yeah just, i yeah. mean it, to be completely honest i can't even remember uh what the actual plot of the single player was i think there was something about like some chick was missing or something and then like you go and find her and she like needs your help to i don't know someone's taken over the world or something i don't really know I have no idea what the there was a chick story. missing. I remember that. There, okay, there we go. <laughs> so I got the at least the the hook right the mm-hmm. the first part. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, Splatoon two, like I said, it d- it did have a very addictive kind of gameplay loop that was really fun. Uh, that kept me going until all hours of the morning. And speaking of addictive gameplay loops that kept me going until all hours of the morning, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is in my honorable mentions. Uh, just because I have a love-hate relationship with this game. It sure. is an addictive gameplay loop. I really enjoy playing it with my friends. I don't play it solo very often. But uh, the other thing about Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is technically it is releasing tonight. 1.0 is launching. And everything will be fixed. It's been, Yeah, it's been early access. For, I think, nine months now. Mm-hmm. And it's got some real janky, broken things and a whole lot of hackers. <laughs> so when you kind of, like, actually go and play the game sometimes, it can be supremely frustrating. Um, and yes. I don't think that you can have a game of the year that is that janky and broken but it does have an addictive gameplay loop, and I have put like more hours into PUBG than I've put into anything else this year, possibly barring Hearthstone and World of Warcraft, uh, which probably. are really saying something because you know I'm competitive in Hearthstone. I get at least rank five every month, and then in World of Warcraft, I raid twice a week. Like my hours in those games are not small. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> uh, like I say, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is definitely an addictive gameplay loop that I have enjoyed. Yeah, and here's the thing: I, it's been known as as time has progressed over the last nine months, uh, I have uh, slowly come out of my shell about disliking Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, <laughs> and for for different reasons, most of it being just that it's a pile of jank. But but I will admit, it is fun when that gameplay loop really clicks. Uh, it, well, it's it, been hard, right? Because you don't have... You've got, what, 8 gigs of RAM, not 16? And I upgraded my RAM so I mm-hmm. could play PUBG better. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> on 8, it was it was, it was was chuggy, and it was not 
great. <laughs> I, I need I need more RAM. That has been established. But my problem is if I can play Destiny, no problem on 8 gigs of RAM. Battle, battle Battleground should be no problem. And and I, that comes from a very uneducated armchair developer uh, standpoint. <laughs> but I got to say, I think on this one, I, I've got to be like at least getting close to being somewhat accurate. But the phenomenon that is PUBG cannot be understated in that that game has rocketed to the top of most played. The fact that a 1.0 launch out of early access has a top banner on Steam right now with a countdown... Mm. says everything uh but I, I, and you know the the thing is early access isn't new early access isn't necessarily an excuse to be a poorly optimi- optimized game but it's to be expected at this point and the biggest problem right now with battleground is that fortnite is going to eat its lunch if they don't start tightening that gameplay up and, and making it uh run a little smoother because fortnite battle royale is just moving at like a hot clip uh, mm-hmm. and, and runs perfectly well for, for the most part. I don't know how they're doing squashing hackers because I know they have their own fair share, but it, I have yet to hear Battlegrounds like talk about it actively, whereas Fortnite is constantly talking about squashing these hackers. So the, And the hackers is new to me. I mean, I'm just terrible. I just assume people are better at it than me. But <laughs> Well, and I mean, that could be the case, but mm-hmm. there are also a lot of hackers. And it's That's funny because... We can usually tell when we're in the game and, you know, like things aren't quite working properly or I think um, because I play very often with Siv who's in the chat room right now and he'll every once in a while he'll say he's like, can you guys hear chat? Like, can you guys hear? And like, so it's like because someone around you is hacking, it's like messing with your in-game settings and stuff. It's messing with your textures loading and your walls loading and stuff. And it just, yeah, you can usually tell. (laughs) And it's it's frustrating. It can be frustrating. And, and PUBG has not been without its um, controversies throughout its early access. I mean, players were really upset about the idea that before they're optimizing all the things that we've talked to, talked about, like there have been even like crazy memory leaks and just like having to restart the client, getting kicked for no reason, like a whole bunch of different problems in the core gameplay. And then they decided to add, you know, like the test the store, you know, add the loot boxes. And everyone's just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, fix your broken game and then try to steal more of my money. <laughs> I've already paid you 40 bucks to pay to play in early access. Like, mm-hmm. come on. <laughs> it's it's not. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally see where people are coming from. And I, I know I joke 1.0 isn't going to fix everything. But I feel like when you attach that 1.0 to something that has to mean something besides the fact that you're going to remove the early access tag tag yeah (laughs) i just i don't wish any ill will against people or the developers of this game but i just want people to understand what they're getting into and i think just having something out like this that is poorly optimized in a world where you have a lot of people talking about it you're going to get people spending 40 dollars for this game and then not being able to run it properly and that's where steam refunds come in and uh i don't think the game runs so poorly that i would need to refund it because Mm -hmm. it snaps in eventually um and luckily i'm always playing with people who are very good at protecting my i can't loot the house yet please protect me but uh i i I just i i mean we had someone in discord uh uh, kaluana saying that PUBG was easy that it was his pick for the year because he's been excited and obsessed 
with the game for for quite a while and it's it hasn't had something like that in in forever so it's nice to see people being very enthusiastic about the game Mm -hmm. uh especially those folks who i i wouldn't really think would get into it like with josh during extra life i I never really pegged him for a for a shooter but some of the most funniest moments ever yeah the two top clips because uh twitch just came out with like a your year on twitch like retrospective thing with your most watched clips and my two most watched clips are one of me shooting Siv in the face (laughs) and one of me shooting Josh in the face (laughs) I I watched those those clips are fantastic my favorite is the one where you are actively shooting at someone (laughs) and saying they're outside they're outside and the other person who you're shooting is on your team and they're thinking no someone's shooting me you need to protect me uh Yeah, that game, and then that's the other thing. That game makes for so many memorable moments, and even though the game is broken and can hitch a lot and, and hit some, some some walls, the loop of you're all dead, or even you're dead and you get to spectate, it still moves at a clip where you're into the next game and you feel like you're progressing as soon as you hit the ground because you have a plan. Get as much shit as possible, kill as many people as possible, rinse, repeat. So I totally get it yeah you're right it it has had a lot or created a lot of memorable moments and you know on top of that too with oh crap i totally had a point and Hmm. i lost it i just totally blanked um talking about memorable moments ah whatever it's gone at the end of actually i was gonna say the the addictive the addictive kind of gameplay loop the other thing that PUBG really has going for it is that there are so many people playing Hmm. that your queue times are literally seconds long like you get out of a game you still have that adrenaline high you've just been killed and you you know want to go back and you know kind of avenge yourself or whatever and and you can literally push the button again and be back in the game within two minutes like Mm. you have a minute's worth of loading time getting back pushing the button getting back in and then you have literally like a minute of waiting on the island before you're in the plane and before you're back into it so Mm -hmm. It's uh, it is a very addictive gameplay loop, and there's no waiting in between, which is why I think it's been so successful, um, because it's just that constant adrenaline feedback and that constant loop going on. Um, I don't know. There's nothing else really on our honorable mentions list that <laughs> fits with an adrenaline loop. But Not really. uh, Ryan, did you uh, did you maybe want to talk about something else on your list first? Sure. So we uh, another game that kind of popped up that has been slowly chipping away at my free time for the last, gosh, I guess nine months. Um, Everything works in nine-month cycles now. But uh, Mm -hmm. Fire Emblem Heroes, surprisingly, is a game that came out in February, and I still play daily to this day, to the point where we have a very active, uh, and by very active, I mean now it consists of Drelfir and I and a couple others talking about the newest updates and now Drelfir saying hi to Jocelyn every once in a while because as she comes in to clear her notifications, we want her to feel welcome uh, <laughs> in our really weird discussions about Fire Emblem Heroes, which is a free-to-play, in case I haven't talked about it in a while, for everybody listening, a free-to-play Nintendo game on your smartphone where it's Fire Emblem and it's gotcha. Uh, you summon heroes, and every two weeks they usually introduce new heroes. Right now they've introduced some holiday heroes, as is expected. And yeah, just they constantly add content to it, and I'm grinding out to get more orbs and use those orbs to summon heroes and uh, get disappointed when I summon the same stupid axe guy over and over again. Um, 
but yeah, it's just, it's, it gets an honorable mention because I really didn't think that Nintendo's smartphone apps would have this type of longevity. I'm already falling out of Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. Uh, Mm. I haven't touched Mario Run since they updated it. And before that, it was since launch. So the fact that Fire Emblem Heroes consistently has me logging in daily and consistently paying attention to what they're adding to it, um, it's just really, it's, it's exciting to have that game. I don't think it's the point where I'm going to be super obsessed with it, but I think that I'll keep playing until Nintendo decides that they don't want to support it anymore because I think the, I like the characters, I like the gameplay, and I like what they're adding every once in a while. Every additional layer they add on top of it just makes the game that much more engaging. It's not exciting, but it's engaging. It's one. It's the one game I play when I've got, oh, I've got five minutes. I'm waiting for uh, something to cook, print, uh, I don't know, wash, just jump in and go. Uh, and yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been really exciting. And I know it, it's surprising that I've had it this long <laughs> in my, in my I, rotation. So, cause I tried it and it was mm-hmm. okay, but it never really caught my attention because I'm not really into those type of games and the kind of min maxing on the heroes mm-hmm. and the everything else, because I know, um, Matt's stepbrother is also really, really, really heavily into it. And like, just hearing him talk about it, I'm like, how do you even keep all that straight in your head? Like, which heroes you should be, like, merging into other heroes to upgrade things or stealing power? Like, I don't know. He just, he has it all in his head. And he just knows everything about min-maxing all of his heroes in that game. And I'm just like, dude, that's a whole other level. Like, I just, yeah. I am so not into that at all. <laughs> that, that's that's a little high game. I, I Google stuff when I want to kind of get a character to the next level. And um, I'm just I, I just pl- I just play it and continue to play it because the characters that they add are either characters that I love from the series or variations of the characters that I want to add to my collection. And I will go as far as min maxing as basically filling out their uh, skill slots with inherited skills and possibly uh, you know upgrading their weapons and stuff, but nothing to the point where I'm like dropping thousands of dollars to get 10 copies of one hero and then min-maxing that hero because you can level them up all the way and then merge copies of that hero together to make them even stronger. Mm-hmm. And I haven't dropped a cent on the game. I don't know whether that makes that me... Was gonna be my next, that was going to be my next question, is if yeah. you've actually managed to escape Fire Emblem Heroes without actually spending any real dollars. The biggest issue with Fire Emblem Heroes... And I want to give them money. I really do. Because I I feel like I've played it for nine months for free. And that makes me feel really cheap saying it out loud. But the fact is, the only way to monetarily support the game is to pay for orbs. And a full summon, which is summoning five five people, is 20 orbs. And that costs you 20 plus dollars. Like $23. It's almost a dollar an orb. And to me... Mm -hmm. That's way too expensive because I have done full summons with 20 orbs because you usually save them up. If you don't do a couple of banners, you can have maybe 40 or 50 every couple, every month or so. And 20 orbs will sometimes net you bupkis. So <laughs> why would I want to drop $20 into something that I there's no guarantee that I'm going to get some, It's like Overwatch all over again. I think Overwatch has turned me away from Like this is the whole loot box conversation yeah. that we've had multiple times this year oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and 
I mean, we don't have to go into it all over again, but it was definitely, I wouldn't call it a top experience of 2017, no. but the loot box conversation was definitely an experience of 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, just loot boxes and everything and, you know, how to spend your dollars or not on things that aren't guaranteed on, you know, like really wanting to get one experience and then not whether that happens to be a hero to play or a skin to use or a portrait or spray or whatever it is sure. that they've put behind these chances at um, one way or another that was definitely a huge conversation throughout uh, throughout 2017 and uh, a couple of or at least one title uh, I think just one title actually that made it into our uh, top five of 2017 that we're going to mm. talk about in, in a moment um, actually has employed that loot box system um, so it doesn't have to 100% take away from the game, but I feel like um, a lot of potentially awesome experiences were kind of clouded by the loot box scandal <laughs> of 2017. Um, because, yeah, I think the one of the ones we're going to talk about a little bit later on, the, it's the only one other than Fire Emblem Heroes that employs a loot box type system. So... Uh, I think that kind of almost speaks for itself that it's not really something that we loved this year. It was something we kind of hated and wish games would do less of. Like to the point that uh, I make the same point about loot boxes that I make about you know Nintendo's mobile offering. I would much, much, much rather pay ten, fifteen, twenty bucks for a mobile title than have it popping in my face asking me to spend money all the time. Same thing for a AAA title. I would much rather pay an extra twenty or thirty bucks on every copy of the game instead mm -hmm. of, you know, putting something behind a, a gamble. Um, but anyways, we're not going to talk about that no, too, no, too no. much again, but it's definitely something that happened in 2017. Uh, speaking of a gamble, I feel like the fact that we both ended up with one of these yeah. is just in crazy insane luck because it felt a lot like gambling of whether or not you were actually going to be able to get an... Super Nintendo Classic uh, launch day, and Ryan and I both managed to get our hands on one. It is mm -hmm. definitely an honorable mention, at least for me this year, because I didn't feel like I could put the SNES Classic in my top five, just because it's it's not a new experience. Right, The one new game on it, I didn't like. <laughs> I played no. like two minutes of it, and I was like, this is terrible and not the thing I want to do with my time. <laughs> but being able to uh, kind of like go back in time and play Donkey Kong and play Mario Kart and experience Mario RPG for the first time. Like I had some really amazing experiences with the SNES classic. I also gave one to my brother for his 30th birthday and he was over the moon about it. And I know he's had like parties with his friends where that's like the point like they're ha they have like Mario Kart parties <laughs> like sleepovers with beer <laughs> and it's uh you know it, it has been one of those like nostalgia trips um and it was a great 2017 experience for me mm -hmm. so Ryan why did you put the SNES classic on your list I think for me having got an NES classic I kind of knew what I was getting into with the Super NES classic and it just it it delivered on what I was looking for a selection of 20 games controllers that feel spot on from whether it's nostalgia or they're just literal copies of the originals and then the fact that they've included a lot of games that really were the beginning of my video game 
career, hobby, whatever. And I just, yeah, playing those games just transports you back to the to the '90s. And I had a I had a Christmas um, dinner where there was family members that just don't really mesh well with the other family, and there was these kids that you just really never got to interact with because they were so they're so shy and so guarded by by this kind of sheltered family experience uh you know no negativity happening just you know people not really engaging really well and um my sister-in-law brought out the super NES classic she also bought one she camped out and this is by no means a a slight on her but she camped out at an eb games every day for about two weeks to get one of these and i'm like really you wanted one of these it's like wow we played nintendo all the time when we were kids so like the super NES coming back truly is this thing that talks to many people even people who just don't play video games anymore the the 90s was when you were a kid it was something you did like video games i was gonna say it very specifically speaks to like our friends Mm are i don't even necessarily want to say generation but like those of us who kind of grew up from like 1992 Mm -hmm. through until like you know 1999 those of us who were in our like i don't know seven to 15 age range at that time were just uh yeah really really into all of the the nintendo offerings at that time so now that we're you know grown and have kids of our own we want to share that with Mm -hmm. the next generation of people and you know a lot of those experiences were really really fun and addictive gameplay loops like we talked about that a lot tonight yeah Um, but yeah a lot of the nintendo like uh, just some of my fondest memories were you know playing donkey kong and and still even when i was playing on the classic I was dying in all the same places that I remember dying when I was like 10. And I was just like, what the hell, Donkey Kong? Like, that muscle memory is still there, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> like, I promise I've gotten better at games. But for some reason, it's like hard coded into my brain of when to jump and it's the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just felt, it was, when you play it, you feel transported. And then when, you know, they brought it out at this Christmas dinner and it's like, oh, these kids, they'll love to play it. Like, you love Nintendo, let's play it. So these th- two kids sit, um, and I have pictures of this. The two kids sit down and they start playing. And I say to Caden, oh, come on over, sit down here and watch them play video games. And he would pick up a controller and he'd start tapping buttons, which would, of course would screw things up. So I unplug his controller like you do. <laughs> And he's playing along, and I'm like conversing with these kids who are usually very shy, and um, and you're just ha- going having a back and forth, like, oh, here's how you control, uh, you know, Donkey Kong. Here's how you jump. Here's how you roll. Oh, let me get you past this moment. Uh, let's play Yoshi. Here's how you throw an egg. And then later on in the evening, uh, the grandmother comes over to me and says, like, I'm surprised that, you know. Uh, and I'm not going to do the old woman voice because that would be disrespectful <laughs> this time. Yeah. Uh, and she said to me, it's like, I, I can't believe that he was talking to you. And it's like, who was talking to me? Oh, you know, little kid number one. And I and I said like, well, yeah, I mean, because I was talking to him. We were playing video games. We were engaging and, and having mm-hmm. a conversation about what was happening on screen. And it's at that moment when people kind of... It, it depends on who they are. Sometimes they'll just be like, oh, okay, well, whatever. Or other times they'll be like, yes, the power of video games, people, come mm-hmm. on, bringing people together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it was just, it was one of those moments where it's like, oh, okay, this is, there's more to video games than just killing time or, you know, shooting people in the head. There's just fun to be had with other people. And the Super NES Classic, shipping with two controllers, it just, it, 
it, it screams this, you know, sit down, have fun. You know, don't worry about internet. Don't worry about loot boxes. Just have a good time. So, yeah. Very true. And I literally just realized, looking at all of your honorable mentions, that every single title <laughs> is a Nintendo title. It was a Dude, big year for Nintendo. Branch, you need to branch out a little bit. But I did you know, play other games, yes. but uh, <laughs> I know I, I went through the list like Injustice. Like they just they don't live up to. And if you look at if you look at yours, you've got two games on there that are Nintendo. So like, I, I don't think we should be pointing the blame at me. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us about your last honorable mention uh, before Fine. we move into our very talk. very quickly? Metroid: Samus Returns. Literally, she has come back from the Nintendo grave. Like Nintendo hasn't made a Metroid game in very long. One that can be sort of wrote home about. Uh, it's just a fantastic experience. It's a swan song for the 3DS, and I look forward to them doing more Metroid games because I thought that uh, Metroid: Samus Returns was was really well done, and it was a remake of a game that I, I never got a chance to play because it was the uh, original Game Boy. I'm not not too good at going back to games I never played as a kid uh, when they're on those earlier systems. I find they're just a little too hard to get into because you don't have that nostalgia factor you know, pulling you along. Right, and I mean, I feel like we've talked about this before too. Uh, it's not even necessarily only the nostalgia factor. It's mm-hmm. also just the time factor. Like when you're a kid, like I used to play the crap out of Tetris and now I'm just like, I don't have hours to kill. Like I probably wouldn't sit down and just play Tetris for hours. And I don't think that's because Tetris is a bad game. Obviously, it's a classic. It's fantastic. It's fun. Mm -hmm. But when I was a kid, I had uh, hours and hours and hours to kill. So um, a lot of these experiences and a lot of the early games like didn't have to be as crazy in your face engaging and exciting because they didn't have to necessarily smack you in the face and grab your attention they could you know slowly ramp up to things and they could take a lot of time and you make you explore and make you have to you know figure things out a little bit more um and i don't think that that's you know anything against them it's just it's we are now at a different time in our lives and i'm sure that there's a lot of experiences that younger people who have more time on their hands might actually get into but yeah. uh, for me i mean it's the reason why assassin's creed origins isn't even in my honorable mentions like it didn't grab my attention it had some issues right from the get-go um i really didn't like the first couple hours of gameplay and i literally haven't gone back and it's really unfortunate because i've had people say you know oh it picks up it picks up but with everything i do i don't have time to think you know five or ten hours into something that eventually gets good i need mm-hmm. it to be good from the get-go so and then if you give it another shot specifically to cover on this show and you only have a certain chunk of time to play video games do you really want to talk about that next chunk of five hours that you didn't enjoy when you've already had that you've already shared that experience on on the show i totally get it because i'm at that point as well where i have to be more selective and i mean if we if we do episode 302 on video game resolutions the one thing for 2018 will be like play more better games and and i think i did that just organically in 2017 because there's just been so many great titles 2017 was insanely packed with good games yeah it was hard you had to go to your way to play bad games because you were playing we were we were playing so many of the good ones i the way i prep for the show is i just sort of like click through every um episode show notes and kind of get a bird's eye view of all the games we played and really the list that we're going to go through 
that we will have gone through through this episode are i would say 50 to 60 percent of the games we played this year so we've really narrowed in on what was just really really great um this year Uh, and obviously there are others that we we aren't going to be able to touch on because we can't play everything um i did i find i found it really hard because i did the hmm. same thing i went through all of my everything that i'd put into the show notes for the last 50 episodes i pulled out everything that i thought was a worth worthy experience but i had a really really hard time narrowing down my top five experiences and also just like not putting everything that i played into honorable mentions like we were trying to cap it out at kind of like 10 10 games each you know top five and and like bottom five i guess like but very much like i'm sitting here looking at this list and i mean some of the honorable honorable mentions were just like i mean mario kart 8 we had prey we had yonder there was Mm -hmm. um uncharted lost legacy south park uh what remains of edith finch was this year too like there there were so many great experiences across the whole like gamut of, you know, AAA through MMOs through, you know, uh, indie titles that it was really hard to narrow down in 2017. I'm a little bit afraid to like go through and do my taxes and see how much money I actually <laughs> spent on video games this year. I feel like it's going to be freaking ridiculous, I, I but think, in a good way, because I yeah. feel like I spent my money wiser this year. Like, if I bought something, I played it. Whereas before, I've just been like, oh, my God, it's on Steam sale. Yes, yes, yes. Add to cart. Go, go, yeah. go, go, go. And I feel like I didn't do that as much this year. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think thing, we'll, we'll need to be sorry, strong. To, we'll need to be strong tomorrow when the Steam sale actually does hit. And uh, yeah, there are a few titles that I've been keeping an eye on that, that I might. Because winter sale is kind of the, the point of no return, right? Like, there's no sale yeah. coming up. We have to buy it now, right? There's no... There's no Valentine's Day sale. Anyways, you were going to talk about your last honorable mention. Let's hear it. I was. I was going to mention uh, one of the titles I picked up on a Steam sale just kind of on a whim because it was uh, recommended to me, like just in my like recommended you might like this games, which in the past, uh, I don't think I've actually picked up anything and been like, oh, yeah, this was, you know, phenomenal. And I thank you, Steam. But this one, Steam got 100 percent right. Uh, I think I talked about it. It was very, very close to the beginning of the year. And I'm glad that I went back through the show notes to find it because it was an awesome experience and one that I still haven't been able to like, I still haven't like beat the game. I don't even Mm -hmm. know if you can beat the game or if it's just like an infinite survival kind of thing. But I'm talking about Beholder. And this is the game where you manage the apartment building in um, this kind of dystopian industrial um kind of um communist feeling country they never call it communist russia but it feels very much like communist yeah at least what pop culture has uh, has taught me about communist russia um and basically you manage an apartment building and you have to decide because like you are watching the residents someone's watching you you have to decide you know um how far out of line you can step to try to help them a little bit. And you have to decide, you know, who's on what side, you know, are you a good guy? Are you a bad guy? I've tried playing all the way to what I would consider good, all the way to what I would consider bad. And I usually end up screwing up and my family dies very early on. Like, and it's this like extraordinarily intricate kind of puzzle 
And I found it very interesting. And the art style was cool and the theme was interesting. And Beholder was challenging in a way that not a lot of other games really challenged me this year, like from a actual like puzzling standpoint. Um, the only other game that had a familiar feel is actually one of my top five. So I'll talk about it in a second. But um, if you guys haven't picked up Beholder, I very, very, very highly recommend it. It's a great one to go and try if you haven't already, especially since the sale is coming up uh, yeah. tomorrow. It starts, right? It's starting tomorrow. And I, I believe Beholder has a, I don't know if it's paid or if it's free, like a DLC expansion where you play the previous owner of the building and find out why he was kicked out. Also, the game's coming out on consoles early 2018. So if you uh, would rather play it on your TV, that it will be a possibility very soon. Uh, yeah, and it is paid DLC, but I feel like it wasn't very expensive. I feel like it was like $3 or something. Cool. Um, well, the- tomorrow it'll be probably a dollar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I expect it to be some sort of uh, bundle. But I think the original price I paid for the game might have been like 10 or 15 bucks. Like, it's not an expensive title anyways. Uh, but it's it's very, very well done. Just the, the whole theme of the game, the feel of it, it was something I hadn't had in a game in a really long mm-hmm. time. So I, I quite, quite enjoyed that title. Yeah, you can get both the main game and the DLC for uh, $12 Canadian. So that's got to be under 10 bucks US, and tomorrow will be even less. I mean, yeah, the, the game, I played it. The game is fantastic, and uh, I'm looking here that they actually just announced Beholder 2. So let's... Let's start. A, yeah, that's crazy. So that's exciting. <laughs> uh, before we move into our top five experiences of 2017, I want to remind everyone that we do have a patron ad this week from Simon. who says, Weekly News Desk is a podcast all about the geek news this week. You can join your two knucklehead hosts, Andrew and Simon, as they keep you informed on movies, TV, video games, and books. You can find them on iTunes or at Weekly News. Dot com. We also have a Discord. You can check us out over on bit.ly slash TGI Discord. We Highly, highly recommend that you do, especially if you are a patron of The Gamers Inn, which is patreon.com slash The Gamers Inn, because tomorrow night on December 21st, we are going to be doing a, uh, a game night. I was going to call mm-hmm. it honorary game night, but that's wrong. Uh, basically, it's a, a goodwill game night because of all the Patreon screw ups that happened earlier on in the month. We're just going to do game night, whether we hit our milestone or not, because we want to hang out with you guys at Christmas. Mm-hmm. So... Make sure that you uh, hit us up in the TGI Discord if you'd like to join us. We would also like to know what you want us to play. There is a post up over on patreon.com slash thegamersin. And even if you don't want to play with us, you can always come and watch. We will be streaming live uh, starting at, I believe, is it 8 p.m. Eastern or 9 p.m. Eastern? When do we normally start game night? 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Eastern on uh, twitch.tv slash jossplays. So come hang out. It's always a lot of fun. (laughs) I don't actually know what's, what's winning right now. Uh, I think there's been one suggestion in Discord, which is StarCraft 2. Uh, oh, fun! Which, yeah, co-op sounds like a lot of fun. If if people if people show up, we can do arcade games. I don't know. It's the last one in 2017. Let's make it special. Get out there, vote. Let us know what you want to see, what you want to play. It's up to you guys. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are now going to talk about our five best experiences of 2017. And I think, um, I don't know, Ryan, are yours in any particular order? I didn't put them in order. I just okay. matched where you put them. So if yours are in an order, mine, <laughs> mine is that maybe not that order. Mine's a jumble. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, mine were with with one exception, which I think mm. everyone who's been listening to Gamers In in 2017 has a pretty good idea of what my 
number one top experience of 2017 has been. Mm. <laughs> spoiler alert, there's also a picture of it behind me right now. Oh. But um, <laughs> uh, I think everyone already knows what I'm going to say. We can talk about that. Um, might as well just talk about it first, get it out of the way, obviously, <laughs> sure. for me. <laughs> uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was just my 100% top of the top, most amazing, had the most fun, 100% of the game experience of 2017. Like, mm. I, I feel like I don't even need to talk about it anymore because I've probably talked about it every other week since it came out in one form or another, whether it was, you know, talking about the new thing that I did or talking about the DLC that came out or trying to convince Ryan that he needed to... <laughs> get in there and play or just comparing every other title that came out this year to horizon zero dawn and saying well actually did you know in horizon yeah <laughs> so i i don't think that this comes as any surprise to anyone horizon zero dawn this year was a sleeper title for me i wasn't even going to necessarily pick it up it came out at the same time as zelda which i was super excited about mm -hmm. but in the end uh i was totally blown away couldn't put it down 100 percent of the game i just i can't and and, and Dralper and from our discord agrees horizon zero dawn was yeah year as well so ryan i'm gonna let you talk for a little while about I'm, horizon I'm, zero dawn. I'm a little disappointed that Dralfir uh put his hat in the ring for horizon and not fire emblem heroes because i feel like we we had something going there um but no i all jokes aside it's a fantastic game uh, I don't think we should spend a lot of time on it because, like you said, we have, and also we will because we're recording a special solely devoted to the DLC for that game. I mean, that that game has so much good things going for it that the DLC is going to deserve its own episode uh, where we're going to discuss it. And honestly, like 10 minutes before we started the show, I was actually playing the game and then remembering, oh yeah, this game is fantastic. The gameplay loop of hunting these animals as they hunt you and um what can originally be seen as just a, a a dodge fest quickly becomes no once it clicks with you with with the different weapons and, and the weaknesses and strengths against different animals it feels less like a whack-a-mole game and more like a, just a strategic monster hunter kind of game mm. and i think that was my problem where i was playing zelda and I was getting caught up on the fact that, and I still do, get caught up on the fact that I can't climb out of anything. I have to go to a specific ledge. It's the old school way of doing it, which is weird when you think about Zelda being something teaching your brain that you can climb on everything. And, and <laughs> when you separate these two kind of similar and easily comparable experiences, Horizon Zero Dawn proves to be this fantastic experience and a great surprise to me, both with story and gameplay. And look, the last anecdote I'll, I'll share and then we'll move on is that I was talking to uh, Belanger, who's a hardcore PC gamer, uh, mutual friend of ours, and he said, uh, and there's always this one game that comes out every generation, and he said, every time I see a GIF of Horizon, I want to buy a PS4. <laughs> and I said, and if you, you're going to see him on the holidays, so I feel like I, I have this... I told him, like, don't talk to Jocelyn about Horizon because you will buy a PS4 for Boxing Day, whether you hit the add to cart button or not. 
I'm already thinking like, okay, so I have to pack up my PlayStation for Christmas and I have to take it to Volante's house. Sure. And and you know what? Honestly, and show him what he's missing. I said to him like, uh, just borrow a PS4 and play it just to get it out of you because honestly, that game is right up uh, right up his alley. Just not just in terms of graphics. Like the game is beautiful, and we're not even playing on a PS4 Pro. Right. It's the story. It's the gameplay. It's the characters. It's the mythology that they put in place here and the mystery the world building yeah, yeah it was it was very very well done and yeah. so grounded in what i can see in like present events and you know like the whole entire world basically goes kind of from 2000 to 2054 or 56 i can't remember um so there's kind of like the 50 years that we're kind of like right in the middle of now are the catalyst for the apocalypse yeah and it's so interesting because it's so grounded and I can see like one thing after another after another and I can see the progression of the story in a way that made it super believable even though I was this like primal looking girl fighting these giant robot animals like it just a story that sounds crazy is actually really grounded and that was the big kind of shocker for me. You know, every time I thought I figured out the world, every time I thought that I knew what the main story was, they kind of like smacked me in the face and gave me something new and 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 opened the world up even further. Uh, so yeah, again, we're gonna move on now because I don't yes. want to spend the next half hour talking about Horizon, but uh, that is definitely my top experience of 2017. Mm. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? What would you say is like your your top top experience? Um, I mean, we probably also, or maybe we coming. should save that. Maybe we should save that. I don't know. Do we want to, <laughs> I, if we get out of the way, I think we'll enjoy the other conversations a lot more because that's true. All right, let's get it out of the way then. Although I pretty much know what you're going to yeah, say. Yeah. And just, I'm going to roll my eyes. I'm already rolling my I eyes. I can't see it. So it's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll roll the tape later. Um, it's going to be Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which was a tough call because I got to say everything else on this list, um, you know just kind of was on par uh with it for the most part but i felt like breath of the wild was this something that clicked with with me personally uh and the fact that it was on a new console and the fact that it was a different zelda which is something people have been asking for for since oh gosh probably wind waker you know and they finally delivered with this thing that's that's different and and has now seeped into everyone's brains some of the, some of the core concepts like the climbing um and and even the weather mechanics you know I, i've been playing the dlc and i i'm noticing things that i hadn't noticed before where i stand on the horizon i look to the you know to the east and i see this this storm brewing and i'm like oh my gosh like there are live weather systems that i can see that i'm not going to be a part of because they're way over there and the game has flaws Certainly. Uh, ones that you could say are overlooked based on the fact that either you're... We're c commentating on the fact that it's a Nintendo curve or just the fact that there's so many other great things in the game that you don't really bother with the weapons. Like the weapon system, yeah, it's a problem. Everything breaks. You have a limited inventory. It doesn't make sense that you're carrying five spears. Why should it matter if you're carrying 20? Um, mm. But... The fact that that system's in there kind of encourages you to try different weapons and switch things up, and yeah, it, it just it was this experience that I just kept wanting to go back to, and I found the world to be very beautiful and calming until it wasn't, which also presented a very awesome experience. And 
it's something that is also getting plenty of awards across the board, and I think it's just because it is it is this special experience that when it clicks, I think it just is really awesome. Um, it's not like Horizon Zero Dawn where you can go in and you can list off these really identifiable things of why you really loved it, but I think that's because Horizon's more of a, a, a general game you know legend of zelda breath of the wild was something new and different that i don't think we've seen elsewhere even if some of the things they were doing alienated uh, some people jocelyn but uh <laughs> <laughs> i was like bite tongue bite tongue i know this is not the horizon versus zelda argument no it's, again. Def- not it's definitely not again <laughs> and i and i think that um a lot of people the, the one thing I'm really upset about is that the fact that Breath of the Wild is getting a lot of nods, I'm not seeing much across the board for, for Zero Dawn, which is unfortunate because Zero Dawn is, I would say, my second top experience of the year. And there was a, a, a brand new Mario game that came out this year. So mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild, honestly, my top experience. It's something that I will, will remember and cherish um, until the next Zelda comes out. Uh, but the fact that I'm not thinking about the next Zelda, I'm still thinking about the current one, and it came out almost a year ago, I think speaks to just this special experience that Nintendo has crafted. And the fact that it is so different from other games should be something people are celebrating, because it's it's one of the top critiques that Nintendo gets is they make the same game over and over and over. And then they deliver something different, and it's just, yeah, it's crazy. But anyways, let's move on, because again, it's not going to be Zelda versus Horizon. Right. Uh, and you did mention it. I think we should talk about it next. Uh, both you and I put Super Mario Odyssey on our list of top experiences of 2017. It's definitely deserving. Um, for me, the biggest surprise about Super Mario Odyssey was the amount of game after you'd finished the game mm-hmm. and how it felt like a continuation as opposed to just like things I didn't have time to do. Do You know what I mean? Like, I really felt like when I finished the core story, it was almost like uh, that core story was the tutorial to all of these other really fun and interesting and challenging puzzles. And that world was taking place after the defeat of Bowser. It wasn't like um, even Horizon Zero Dawn where, you know, you beat the final boss and you can go back and you can do all the side quests and whatever. But that final boss quest is still sitting there in your main quest line. Like it literally transports you back into the world before you defeat the final boss. And that's how you play all of the end game. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey isn't like that at all. It's very much like you go in, defeat the main story, and then the world opens up to you and you see Peach and she's traveling. And, you know, like it just, there are, you know, areas that were previously closed off that are now opened up to you because, you know, they're the inhabitants have solved their problem and they're no longer living in fear. And then you've got more areas to explore. And that experience in Super Mario Odyssey was, I feel like probably, um, it was the only game I played like that this year that really felt like its end game was after the main game and super, super interesting. Brian? Yeah. No, sorry. I think uh, Mario Odyssey is one of those titles that when they bring out a new Mario game, it's similar to Zelda where you're like, man, if this isn't good, we're going to have to wait another five years for something like this. And the fact that Mario Mario Odyssey is this... um, 
it's a return to form. It's Mario 64. It's uh, Super Mario Sunshine, which are two of my favorite Mario games. I loved Galaxy, but I craved that open world-esque presentation that we got in those original titles. So, and, and the fact that I haven't beaten it yet. Like, I beat the main game, but haven't even gotten to the end of collecting all the moons. Right, it's yeah, just, no, it's, me either. <laughs> and it's a great... It's a great portable game. Um, it just works so well the way they've designed it. I played the it. majority of it at BlizzCon. Like while I was, you know, waiting for stuff or at the airport, on the mm-hmm. plane, whatever the case was, I played the majority of Super Mario Odyssey on that trip. So mm-hmm. that th- again, that speaks to the amazing job that Nintendo did this year, making its experiences equal on the TV and portably. Like, I mean, there, I had some issues with Zelda, but that's because Zelda was not made to be portable originally. Mm. So I feel like everything that they've come out of that is just a straight-up native Switch title did an amazing job of being portable and still fun on, you know, the big screen. And Super Mario Odyssey is no exception. I freaking loved it, portable. Oh, yeah. It sounds fantastic. It looks fantastic. You don't notice a difference to me between docked and uh, handheld mode. And it's just it had a the story that's present tells a very different story. Uh, It's different from other Mario experiences. I mean, Peach still gets kidnapped and Bowser's still the bad guy. But it's it's different in in presentation. It's not just Bowser's over here. And you're here, and you have to progress to the to the. Oh, I guess that is actually what happens, but it kind of is what happens. But it, what I liked is there was a reason for him to be jumping from place yeah. to place and world to world because he. And I mean, even if the reason was kind of dumb, and you know, mm-hmm. oh, he's planning his wedding, and you know, needs you know the cake from here, and the stew from here, and the flowers mm-hmm. from here, and the dress from here. At least each society and each world that you went to or i guess not world each um each continent or or location that you went to had a very specific purpose and theme and it was interesting and they were all different mm-hmm. and i think that that's what made it so interesting for me it, it like you said it felt like the marios of the past while still being something new and when we talk about nostalgia when we brought up zelda um Mario Odyssey presents what is probably the biggest nostalgia hit in the longest time I can ever remember. It, it, even more so than, you know, the new Halo trilogy for me. I think the one of the final uh, areas that you get to explore in Mario Odyssey is a straight up nostalgia hit to the point where it's it's it makes sense in the game, but it's very much on purpose uh, an homage to a previous Mario game and you play it mm-hmm. and it's just like I feel transported and Nintendo seems to be the only company capable of doing that um, maybe outside of uh, some of Blizzard's titles but even then like I think Blizzard is still very much stuck in a, a certain decade of time you know where they can only go back so far and the fact that Nintendo can be like remember 30 years ago remember 25 years ago remember 20 years ago it's all going to come flooding back to you with this single moment that will present you. And, and I, yeah, Mario Odyssey is just so lovingly crafted that it's, it's tough. It's also tough that Zelda is kind of like overshadowing that game because if they had come out in different years, I feel like you would have game of the year, one year being Zelda and game of the year being the next year, Mario. But, uh, 
Yeah, you're not well, going to get another I mean, game like this for a while. Overshadowed for you, I think Odyssey is the superior title. But. Sure, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just speaking uh, currently that Zelda's yes, getting a lot of game of in the larger gaming world. You're right, yeah. Legend of Zelda is Sorry. definitely getting the accolades, and again, I don't think it deserves it, but. Odyssey is being shuffled aside in a place where it would potentially be eligible for Game of the Year type accolades had it come out in 2018. But would you really have wanted to wait no. an extra four months for? I didn't finish my sentence before. You're like, no, no. I'm, I'm by no means suggesting. And and here's here's the craziest part, is that a lot of the titles that we've talked about, uh, Nintendo wise, are on the Switch. A brand new piece of hardware. Uh, from Nintendo, people were worried that the Switch was not going to have any titles for its first year, which is a common problem for Nintendo uh, with new new uh, platform launches. What does 2018 bring? Like, is 2018 going to be a slower year and people will forgive Nintendo for that because there was such a killer 2017? Or do they keep the momentum going? You know, if we got Mario and Zelda in 2017, how do they follow that up in 2018? Because you know they have to, at, to a certain extent, they got to kind of try and match the momentum they they, mm-hmm. they can't depend on third party just yet um yeah. but yeah I'm, I'm excited to see what comes next and and that is solely based on the fact that mario and zelda have been such fantastic outings for the platform well before we go into any more triple a titles did hmm. you want to uh take a second and give our indie nods sure let's do that yeah uh, so for me, I mm-hmm. really I couldn't let this whole top experiences of 2017 go by without mentioning the sexy brutal because we talked about this. Uh, it was again it, back near the beginning of the year. It was actually right around the same time I was talking about Beholder, and it was a fantastic like probably like five to seven hours worth of gameplay, little indie title where you were trapped in this mansion in this time loop basically. And you had to try to figure out how to prevent all of the murders of all of your fellow party guests. So it had this like super cute, like um, masquerade chibi kind of looking style. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just it was so, so cute and so disturbing at the same time. And it was also challenging in terms of just like figuring out all of the puzzles and and getting to know all of your fellow party guests and trying to figure out what was going on behind the scenes, what was causing the time loop, like what really happened. And it was it was an amazing title. It was definitely my favorite indie of the year and very, very close in terms of um, like, again, it's a game I played start to finish. I really really loved it it's right up there in terms of like experience and this is why we don't necessarily do a full-on like game of the year award because mm-hmm. i feel like it's very hard to, to kind of compare a five to seven hour experience to something like a horizon zero dawn because they really are they're different um but that being said i freaking loved loved this game it was so good and so fun like the music the art just everything was amazing yeah, and I think I missed out on this game when it came out, and then I got it through one of the Humble Bundle monthlies. So it's something that, it's one of those titles that I want to check out in the, in the new year. And that's the beauty of January, February, is because there's nothing going on yeah, video game-wise. nothing's happening. So, nothing's happening in movies. Like, just nope. everyone just comes down from Christmas and just doesn't do anything for yeah. two 
few months, yeah. So, so we're going to get to play a lot of games that both mm-hmm. of us missed and catch up on games that we really haven't talked a lot about. Like we mentioned Xenoblade Chronicles at the top of the show. It's one of those games that I'm looking forward to creating the 48-hour day to actually enjoy in the new year <laughs> because that's that's something I'm working on right now, in case you didn't know. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I'm looking to, uh, forward to trying Sexy Br- Brutale, but, or is it Brutale or is it Brutal? Wait, now now you've messed it I had it in my head and now you've messed it up. <laughs> brutale? Is it French? No, or? I think it's just Brutal. <laughs> okay, Brutal. Yeah. Sure. Brutal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Oh, man. This is the other thing that's always great about these episodes when we <laughs> look back on the year. And it's like, oh, right. Do you remember these crazy conversations about how to freaking pronounce things? Like, I'm looking do. back at all the jokes from the gamers in for the past 50 episodes. <laughs> There's a lot of but, jokes. <laughs> you have uh, you have an, an indie experience too that made your top five. Yeah, so SteamWorld Dig 2, a follow-up to one of my favorite games on and most addicting uh, games on PC uh, when it first launched. SteamWorld Dig 2 is this game and i played it on switch so if you thought oh this is a pc game ryan's talking about no i played it on switch so again <laughs> domination Back to nintendo again uh and it launched on um switch ps4 and steam and i thought that when i played this game it was the perfect follow-up so basically what it was is it's a digging game where you have to uh dig into the ground collect gems and progress further and it's sort of metroidvania as well where you're collecting power-ups that allow you to traverse farther and um, do cool power-up moves. And what they what they build upon this game from the first one is not just a power-ups, but it's also story. And just uh, so much fun. If anything it's guilty of, it's guilty of being over too, sh- too soon and being mm. very... like. But it's still a five to seven hour experience. So yeah, it's definitely like my, indie, my top indie of the year. And one that it was really only the only one that kind of rose to the top out of all the other ones. Um, not because I prefer AAA over indie, just because I th- I thought that it it didn't necessarily need to be indie. It could live alongside the other AAAs because it's it's so polished and, and looks really nice. And I think no matter where you play it on Switch or PC, you're going to get a similar experience. Um, I just really enjoyed playing it on the go. You know, um, whether I'm sitting on the couch or in bed and want to get a couple more uh, dig dig runs in, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a lot of fun and total relaxation, you know, uh, zone out type game where you can just traverse and uh, experience the story and just have a great time. Uh, I, I can't recommend it enough. And again, both of these titles, uh, SteamWorld Dig 2 and The Sexy Brutal, um, pick it up for uh for on the uh, inexpensively tomorrow once it goes on sale on the steam sale i'm sure it'll be you know 10 to 20 percent off and totally worth the price of admission those two games yeah i think uh retail price was um i don't think i paid more than 15 or 20 bucks for it um Mm -hmm. and i got it like when it came out so i feel like um sexy brutal is probably again going to be on sale for i would like five to seven dollars canadian probably i would guess so if you haven't already picked it up uh, i again both of these indie titles are probably going to go on sale tomorrow and um are worth your time for <clears> sure <throat> um the other thing that i found that was worth my time this year um was eso morrowind and this is something that 
I jumped on the ESO train very, very early on. I was, you know, a collector's edition buying uh, day one playing ESO person. But I fell off of the title fairly quickly. Um, my Warcraft Guild had a bit of a presence in ESO, but it just wasn't quite the same. And what I was really looking for was kind of like the next Skyrim, which is why I jumped into it so much. Because, I mean, both Ryan and I loved Skyrim. It's literally like the reason we started this show in the first place. So uh, when they talked about how they weren't going to do another like single player standalone, they were doing ESO instead. I kind of I got on that train. And I was like, all right, let's see how it goes. And it just I, it didn't grab me until I went back for Morrowind, which was the expansion that came out in 2017. And it was like almost an entirely different game. They fixed a lot of the things that weren't necessarily working for me in the first game. Uh, they had a lot of quality of life upgrades. It was almost like ESO 2.0. Not to mention it took you back to kind of a place in time that was really uh, kind of had the nostalgia factor, right? So Morrowind was the third Elder Scrolls game. And so you were already familiar with the area and the characters and all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. it let you see a familiar part of the world without rehashing too much stuff because um, Elder Scrolls Online takes place at a totally different time than, um, you know, Morrowind or Skyrim or anything else. So um, it was interesting to see that world without um, the kind of baggage that, you know, the, the other Elder Scrolls games could have potentially brought to an online experience. Yeah. I, I also jumped in with Morrowind um, outside of the main release and similar to a lot of other, other MMOs where they had their first expansion and people just uh, saw an, an addressing of issues, you know, and I'm glad that Morrowind actually did that because I think it, it brought a game that a lot of people worked really hard on and was labeled as, you know... Skyrim online type thing where uh, people weren't actually playing it; they were just commenting. I remember when we when we originally talked about Elder Scrolls Online on the show, we got a lot of heat from just you know YouTube search, uh, searchers and just people looking to bash the game, not necessarily mm -hmm. listen to our opinions of <laughs> said game. And when Morrowind came out, it was a total total switch where people were being very positive about the game, you know, giving it a shot and. It just goes to show that when a developer has perseverance and, and wants to actually address these issues in a game that they very much enjoy making, um, you can have this great product. So I'm, I'm glad Morrowind got some got some love here because it's tough with, you know, the elephant in the room that is World of Warcraft. I mean, you can't ignore it when it comes to MMOs, and it seems to butt its head in every time you talk about a different MMO. Uh, it just it, it it has to be done. But um, I'm glad Morrowind. Well, I think yeah. Yeah, the thing about ESO, and I think everyone was kind of looking for a Skyrim online type of experience where um, they wanted to capture the same feeling of being like the single most important person. Hmm. And that's really difficult to do in an MMO because you have a world that you're sharing with everybody else. And it's actually the problem that I find Warcraft is running into, at least in the Legion expansion, where, you know, like... I am the High Lord of the Paladin Order now in World of Warcraft, along with, you know, 5,000 of my closest friends. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it just, it's kind of, um, World of Warcraft is now running into that problem, whereas when World of Warcraft started, you were very much more so like a peon, and you were helping the Horde or the Alliance in their, you know, their cause and their war and everything else, um, whereas now you are 
the main character in the story. And, and that makes it difficult in a MMO. And ESO had that problem from the get-go. They tried to make you feel like you were the most important person in the world, but then you would see all these other characters running around doing all these quests, and everyone was like, ugh, it just it doesn't feel right. You know, like, how am I supposed to erect or um, ratify? Maybe is the word I'm looking for. Uh, the fact that I am the most important character and I am the one destined to save the world, but mm -hmm. this other person right next to me it looks the same as me, is running around doing all the same things as I am. And I don't know how they did it. I think it's probably because um, they got rid of all of the uh, like levels of the zones. Mm -hmm. So you could literally write your own story in Morrowind. And I think that that was kind of the key is instead of everyone following the same pathways now to level up their character, they could literally go wherever they wanted to, whatever pulled them in whatever direction and write their own story for their character. So there wasn't this kind of like progress, like linear progression through zones with everyone doing all of the same things while being told they were the most important person. Like you, I, there were times I would run into, you know, like I'd be level 20 and I'd be running into someone who was level five and, you know, because we just happened to pick the same zone to level through at that time. And I felt like stuff like that was enough to make it feel like um, we were different people having different experiences. And it kind of like gave me that gap between our characters. Hmm. So uh, it was it was a totally different experience, very much uh, ESO 2.0. And if you haven't ever tried Elder Scrolls, it is free to play now. Um, I would highly recommend getting in there and giving it a shot. Um, because the combat, too, is really, really fun. Um, and, yeah, I just, I, I enjoy ESO quite a lot. I wish I had more time to play it because, to be honest, I haven't played it nearly much as, it, as much as it deserves. There are a lot of endgame things that I, like, I mean, don't raid. I don't do endgame PvP. Like, none of that stuff in ESO. I basically, like, played it through for the story. Basically, like, a single-player uh, experience. <laughs> and I haven't mm. done any of the multiplayer stuff, so... Um, I wish I had more time for it, but at least um, with the Morrowind update, they succeeded in making it feel a little bit more true to the single-player Skyrim experience, which I think is what a lot of people, including myself, were looking for. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, considering uh, Bethesda is more interested in re-releasing Skyrim than they are making a proper sequel, so... Yeah, you can literally get Skyrim everywhere, even the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I, I was gonna do, um, I was gonna do an experiment and see if they released a new Skyrim every year that we've been doing this show. And honestly, I, I, I feel like I don't even need to do the research, and we can probably just say there was a new Skyrim every year since we started this. Show. I feel like it, yeah, maybe possibly just like year two of gamers, maybe year two, maybe year three, but there was definitely like expansions hmm. and stuff to the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. in those years so before they started doing remasters and re-releases and everything else <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah i'm sure there'll be something next year too i mean they did yep. they kind of bundled vr and switch in one year they they, they should have probably delayed uh one of those just to to kind of like keep it going to but... make sure they had something in 2018 yes yeah yeah <laughs> well yeah because i mean it's been six years of gamers in it's been six years of uh of skyrim as well so that's <laughs> yeah. kind of crazy it is. It was a great experience, though. I still watch streamers play it. Hotform was playing it a few weeks ago, and it's it's entertaining. It's fun to watch, and uh, it was it was a good game. Continues to be a good game. Oh yeah. Uh, the final experience that we have for you guys, uh, you can probably guess because we alluded to the whole loot box situation uh, <laughs> earlier on in the show. But uh, 
Brian and I both put Middle Earth Shadow of War on our list of our top five experiences in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, loot boxes aside, the Nemesis system was enough, at least for me, to uh, for Middle Earth to earn a spot in my top five. But Ryan, what was it for you that put it into your top five above all the other Nintendo titles? Right. And I think it really was just this title that it hooked into me, similar to Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, although I played it when it came out as opposed to six months later. But with <laughs> Shadow of War, the gameplay loop of the Nemesis system, the story that it was presenting, even if it was kind of shallow, the characters that they had in there, Bruise especially, like the intro to Bruise's character mm. was just like, this instantly gets a spot on, on my top five because that character's introduction checks all the boxes for my style humor, which is, you know kind of breaking the fourth wall but not really talking with a, a very strong accent uh being quirky and funny and you want me to kill that guy okay sure i'll go kill that guy and and being really disgusting about it but it's the game just has charm um and when the the only issue i had with it is you're right when it doesn't have that charm it, it really shows and it's in the end game that i didn't bother to play i beat the game and then i youtube the secret ending because i have no no interest in grinding out. Uh, I tried and it just didn't happen. But what I did play was just so much fun and so engaging. The fact that you can, you're just running around killing orcs and you're getting into these like uh, these battles uh, between yourself and armies. You know that's mm -hmm. the biggest difference between this and the previous game is that you're getting in fights with armies, not just you it know. It did feel grander, like bigger mm -hmm. in general. Yeah, it, it's not. It didn't feel like. The first game sort of felt like you were on you were in an arena and sometimes you would you would cobble together like 20 orcs and it would be oh man this is crazy. In this you're literally surrounded by two armies that are fighting each other and sometimes it gets a little crazy but other times it feels like you can you can just kind of pick people off and move around the battlefield because you're such a badass. Mm -hmm. And the Batman combat, I mean, you got to give it to Batman for bringing that combat system to the to the to the forefront to the because forefront. it is so satisfying in this game. I mean, the you know the um, the um, what are they called when you and they're not well the takedown systems, but also the counters. The counters, uh, just yeah, it feels so satisfying. Counters or combos because both of those exist in this world. <laughs> yeah, count counters. I mean, when you get the little flash up here and you hit the Y button and then you yeah. can grab the guy and do something real cool. I know it's just a timing thing and it's button mashy, but it just feels so good when you nail it. Uh, and the fact that you can do two at the same time, yeah, just say no more. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was our top experiences of 2017. We also had you guys submit a whole bunch of them through mm -hmm. Discord, so we're going to go through those now. But before we do, I wanted to remind everybody that if you like the Gamers In, you can go to etched.com .amove.tv or shirts.amove.tv to pick up some merch and show off your love to the world. Ryan and I have the t-shirts. Ryan and I also have the coffee mugs and the pint glasses and the wine glasses and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, they are so awesome and I I drink all my wine. Well, I was going to say I drink all my wine <laughs> out of my Gamers in mug, but everyone knows that I have my uh, my unicorn wine glass as well so sure. i alternate between my unicorn wine glass and my gamers in wine glass. i should have i should have got a gamers in wine glass for my eggnog mm, mm. i thought that's what you were drinking um every once in a while i use it for eggnog and brandy as well but it's festive oh it's just eggnog but i'm not oh i'm not going down a 
you're, you're missing out, man. You're missing I, out. I I hear adding alcohol to things makes them better. I just I've never been one to kind of. I'm not a mixed drink person anymore. I just like mm. straight eggnog. I don't know. I thought you were just say I like straight brandy. <laughs> that would have been funnier. Like, that's better. <laughs> More my speed. <laughs> well, Ryan, did you want to give the first of our few uh, listener feedback? email sure i'll read the longest because that'll go well uh opera 707 <laughs> says via discord so hellblade sonoa's sacrifice is my game of the year and here's why if i could describe this game with one word it would be harrowing this game puts your character into a very different scenario venturing into viking hell to save her lover's soul sonoa however suffers with psychosis which is a mental disorder where thoughts and emotions are so impaired that you will lose what is really or what is reality doing so well and what isn't the gameplay is wonderful, combining puzzle aspects and fast-paced combat where you have to be more swift than strong. There was not a moment in the game where I, was, I wasn't captivated. The story is very interesting and it's almost hard to explain without playing it. In short, she wanders into her version of Viking Hell to save her lover's soul, combined with her voices in her head and hallucinations, in brings in a harrowing experience. The voice acting and soundtrack are 11 out of 10. Um, please for the love of God play this with headphones you will truly get shivers down your spine as the voices seem like they are in your head soundtrack is authentic being Celtic war music which sounds freaking awesome Uh, there's this one boss where the sounds just feel right and you have that moment of triumph I highly recommend this game and this is one of those games that slips through the cracks for me and and probably something I will be picking up tomorrow Um, all willpower aside it's one of those games that I I truly feel like I missed out on because I love Ninja Theory, and I am one of those people that loves to play games that are different, you know. And I feel like Hellblade, Sinnoh's Sacrifice, just screamed different. And uh, sometimes I just want uh, something different. So there you go. It also uh, won a game at the ge- or won a game won an award at the Game Awards this year, uh, and it was nominated for quite a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically around its art direction and its uh, music as well as its I believe it was the gaming for impact was it the, the um, award that it was it was the gaming for impact but also um uh, uh motion capture best performance you know best performance it won for but I think it was also oh. the gaming for impact um was where it was nominated and mm-hmm. it was because it really takes a look at this whole idea of the mental disorder of psychosis and so um I like games like that and I find I don't play enough of those that actually have some kind of uh, message to send, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the last one that I can think that was this highly acclaimed was, um, I can't remember the name of it, but I think it was last year and it was the one about um, the guy whose kid had cancer and I was oh, like, yeah. I can't play that game. I don't care how good it is. I know I can't play it. I'll just be crying for two hours, and that's not fun for anybody. <laughs> it was sad, and and uh, also felt very weird playing through that game. Like you were, yeah. like you were experiencing this very personal thing that normally isn't shared. And I think that's why that game was so special. But you're right, like Hellblade being a unique story that touches on um, awareness for these mental disorders uh, is kind of unseen in video games because it, be, it can be tough to be profitable and share a message um mm-hmm. and it's nice to see games trying to do that more and more um even though people would rather just play well the the five games we just discussed you know post-apocalyptic you know sword slingers <laughs> and um shit where you dig i don't know 
those things. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So thanks, Opera 707, so much for writing in uh, your review over on Discord. We also have a review from Jim where he talks about his games of the year. He says, uh, two of my top three games of the year of two, uh, of 2017 are Persona 5 and Doki Doki Literature Club. Should I Am I Google saying that, that right? <laughs> yeah. I, think, I, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, Jim goes on to say, it's probably an unusual choice, but I find it to be extremely hard-hitting emotionally and very worthwhile, although ultimately a disturbing experience. Persona 5 was an amazing RPG that sucked me in and interested me enough to do another playthrough right away, and I even put in the effort to get 100% on it, despite generally not being much of an achievement hunter. Hmm. Of course, my game of the year is Yakuza. Is it Yakuza 0? Yeah, Yakuza 0. Okay. Uh, it's a series that really that receives little fanfare in the U.S., but the games are incre- an incredibly fun mix of fun gameplay, silly side content, and fantastic main stories that are both interesting and full of the feels at times. Zero is the best of the series and something I would highly recommend to anyone who thinks that they might have the slightest interest in this type of game. So I'm actually I'm surprised that Jim went with Yakuza and not Persona 5 because... Mm-hmm. I saw Jim talk about Persona 5 so much. It was incredible. Like, I, I thought that that was, like, hands down what he was going to pick, which makes me more interested in Yakuza 0 because it won out over Persona 5. So that is, uh, you know, high praise from Jim because, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I was interested in Persona 5 as one of those games that a lot of people were talking about, and I kind of get sucked in to, to those conversations. And another one that hasn't been mentioned in that same ilk is uh, Nier. Uh, automata and uh something i tried but never got into but yeah um yakuza zero was never yakuza in general was never a series i was uh, I've, I've known about but never really tried I, i've seen jim he's mainly been tweeting about um customizing hostesses in that game <laughs> so i feel like that game offers a of a, a, a variety of experiences including um the customization of hostesses so jim you should tweet tweet about more in that game because i I feel like that's all i've seen so far (laughs) i know there's more to it i'm just kidding but uh i'm surprised he didn't mention pinball that's really what what he's Mm. been talking about lately so that's true yeah pinball he's streaming a lot of pinball that's for sure yeah um finally we had luke and andrew write into us via twitter saying prey was the number one game this year that's one that unfortunately ryan and i it really came up at in Crowded time of year, I guess, is the best way to say it. I felt like um, I was playing a whole bunch of other things when mm-hmm. Prey came out, and we both played the demo, which was the first like hour, hour and a half, and it seemed really fun. I had a great time. I think I might have even bought it. I think it's just sitting you in my Steam account. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I was I looking at it. I still yeah. have played it. Like, and so this is why I feel like it didn't make my top experiences because I just I couldn't find time to play it. And had it been any other year, mm. again, like we've talked about a lot today about how stacked 2017 has been. I think if it had been any other year, Prey would have been right up there in my top five experiences. But 2017 was just crazy in terms of games. I think we we both need to revisit Prey because I think I remember the Zero Hour being something we both really enjoyed. And there's been something with Bethesda games where I don't know it's whether their new review policy is just not working to their to their benefit, but... I feel like a game comes out, it reviews well, but it reviews well a week after it comes out, and then it kind of loses that 
punch and we mm. move on to the next thing and uh, gets lost in the shuffle. But I, I think Prey is one of those games that I would love to revisit in, in the new year. So, um, and I'm sure you're right. It, it, it has gone on sale pretty steep, you know, a steep discount that game. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. I, I dig what it was laying down. It felt very Half-Life in that zero hour. And I, I like Half-Life. So I want, and Valve isn't interested in making single player games anymore. So praise going to be it, I guess. <laughs> All right, everyone, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you everyone so much for sending in your submissions for our 300th episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com. You can also find us on Amoob TV along with other fabulous podcasts, including The Angry Nerd, Into the Nexus, The Angry Chicken, For Azeroth, Embrace Spoilers, and Heroes Forge. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn, at Jocelyn Plays. Brian is Dora Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers In. The video versions of all our episodes can be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash TV. If you'd like to email the show and let us know what your game of the year was for 2017, in case we missed anything please do so at info at gamersinpodcast.com. Thanks for staying at the Gamers Inn. Remember, see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye.